Check one, two. Compound Nation, Monday night. Another special event. We've been hitting you guys with special events like crazy all winter. This one's going to be really special. My friend Mary Childs is here. Mary, wave hi to everyone. I want everyone to know which one you are. Okay. It's that one, guys. All right. Mary is the author of the hottest book in finance right now, this spring. It's called The Bond King. How one, hold that up one more time. How one man made a market, built an empire, and lost it all. And yo, none of that is an exaggeration. And I've written three books. Mary, that's all like, it was an empire. It was a big deal. It was. Still a big deal, just without him now. Deal. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I'm so we're glad so, you agree with it. We're so happy to have you. And uh, we're going we're gonna to start, I think we're going to start with Michael. We kind of figured out some sort of order that we want to ask questions. And a reminder for the, for the, um, a reminder for the chat. Guys, ask a smart question. We'll ask Mary. She knows like everything on this topic. So Duncan's going to be combing for questions, and we'll bring him in later to ask the best couple that come out. All right, Michael, go ahead. Okay, so Mary, first of all, congratulations. Thank Amazing you. book, fun, informative, crazy stories, history. It has it all, so buy the book. Here's where I want to start. It's kind of wild to think that prior to like PIMCO and Bill Gross doing what they did, Bond trading wasn't a thing. Like they actually kind of invented it. Back in the day, people bought bonds, they held them to maturity, they literally clipped coupons, and that was it. So why don't we start with like, why did bond trading even come to be? Yeah, um, I love that. I think it is really wild. It's like bananas that this wasn't a thing prior to the 1970s, but you had this runaway inflation that really kind of created the right conditions for bonds to not make sense to be just sitting in vaults and like losing their value day by day, which I guess is kind of relevant uh, now again. But basically, you know, when Bill started his job, he was clipping those coupons. He was literally sending those in for interest payments. And all of a sudden they were like, wait, wait, why don't we <laughs> trade these amongst ourselves and see if we can do better than just holding them? Nobody thought that there was alpha available in bonds until, uh, was it PIMCO in those early days? It was, was it yeah, it some- was part of, uh, it was a shell within Pack Mutual, but yeah, exactly, which doesn't make any sense, and it is kind of, like, hard to fathom, but it was also a hard sell at the time. People just didn't want to do it. Well, there was, it. like, no liquidity either, right? They right. had no one to trade them with. Exactly. If there's, no, if there's no market, there's no market, so. so I, think, I think in New York, on Wall Street, it was bond sales. The issuer would say, we want to sell $100 million worth of whatever debenture and here are the features and then there would be a broker who would sell that and the buyer had no expectation that there would be liquidity they were just happy with the okay so actually bond trading originates on the west coast not on wall street yeah that's right okay that's fascinating so he came to dominate that fairly quickly or not necessarily what's the background on that i think that's right i mean there's this guy that i talked to who's one of his very close friends howard rakoff and I sort of parasocially call him Howie, even though the only person in the world who calls him Howie is Bill Gross. I'm like, hi, Howie. Like, it's not his name. Um, but he was kind of an evangelist for bond trading. He got it kind of stuck at like, like a little bee in his bonnet and went around to all the different banks and insurance companies. And he was like, we got to trade these. You got and everyone was like, who is this guy? Why is he yipping at me? But that was kind of I mean, it was fun to kind of find. I, I really hadn't seen any coverage of this guy anywhere. And to find this like 
I don't know, patient zero of bond trading was so fun. But he went around and created almost single-handedly. You know, people credit Bill, but Bill was, and Bill will tell you, he was just there when the lights went on. What year is this, roughly? Oh, gosh. This is like 71, 2, 3... So, but so there so were two. You, there were two tailwinds. A long time ago, there was two tailwinds. There was there was one inflation eating away the coupon payments, so they had to like get into the newer coupon issued. Exactly. And also ERISA coming around. That's exactly right. Yeah. They, that what does was that mean? The, what does that mean? So every regulation since Adam is what I'm told it stands for. Um, just get, that's a joke for, for from my. Oh, that's a pension geek one. That's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. I was like waiting for the laughter. It's not there. Right, I got it. Uh, thank you. But no, it basically opened the floodgates where it like formalized the, the mutual fund industry as we know it today. And everyone needed like a professional money manager to manage their money. And to, it, it just happened that PIMCO had just started this kind of trial portfolio when the lights went on. And they were like, okay, well, we have this like, you know, two to five year, you know, they had this little short track record, but it was enough to show people that they were for real and they could manage your money. And they were you know, they had this insurance company behind them. They had a really good position to pitch to people. And that, that that's what really started the flood. The other thing so, about that time was rates were obviously way higher. Way you know? higher. So, and so I think a lot of people probably want to say, well, Bill Gross was great at bond trading and all, and he started it, but he got lucky because he had the tailwind of falling rates and starting. Right. But yeah. I mean, reading your book, this guy was like a maniac in the best and worst way possible. So like you <laughs> well, said that the question he would ask people was when they, he was interviewing them would be, do you want money, power, or fame? And he yeah. said, I wanted to be famous. So part of me thinks, like, let's say growth started today in this rate world where treasuries are 2%. Crypto. He probably, he probably would have yeah, done fine either way, right? Like, he was going to be successful no matter what. He, like, the fact that he became famous as a bond fund manager is, like, crazier than the Kardashians becoming famous, right? Oh, you're famous, saying right? the bonds, the bonds <laughs> right? are just incidental given yes. that that was the fat pitch at the time? I think he would have figured it out anyway, right? I agree with that. I think that's right. I think the bonds were sort of the thing that he was good at and the, the place where he had an edge, but it is kind of the vehicle for the overall goal, which is fame. I think that's totally right, which is like kind of mind blowing because we know him as this bond legend and that's like the world that we keep him in. What, what, Mary, what aspect of the fame did he seem to covet so much? Because mm. it, do, it doesn't seem to have gone well uh, ever since he attained it after the great financial crisis, which we'll get to. Yeah. But what was it about fame, do you think, that he really ma made him really want it? I mean, it's such an interesting question, and I feel like I could spend another seven years thinking about it. I'm going to try not to. We have 25 minutes. All right, so... <laughs> so he is, you know, he's a psych major from college. Like, he thinks about this stuff a lot. But I think what he... What he told me was, it's like, oh, I have this, like this need from not having gotten hugged as a child. Like it's my cold Canadian parents is why I need this, why I have this hunger for fame. It's like a proxy for being loved. And like, we all know, including Bill Gross, that's not gonna work, right? Like he knows rationally that, and he says this in the book, that it's not gonna fill in that hole, right? Being famous, getting headlines is not gonna make him feel loved. But I think that quick hit of like, I mean, we all love being retweeted. Like, this is very, I feel like this is a very accessible and like resonant concept where like he wanted, he wanted that adrenaline hit. He wanted that little feeling that like, they like me, they really like me. And that's obviously impossible to hold on to. And it's so addictive. So I'm everyone not, likes the feeling, but most people don't like specifically chase it that. And engineer that, their lives around uh, it. Intuitively. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Mary, I'm not finished with the book. So forgive me if you covered oh, this. Oh, no but spoilers. Th sorry. But. <laughs> Did you get into the relationship that he had with his parents? Like, was that little, was, was yeah. that his upbringing that like did it? I mean, to some extent. I mean, isn't that true for all of us, right? But I do think you know he he cites like 
Mother Goose Shirley being kind of the the nothing was ever good enough for her. And there's this like somewhat chilling scene that he wrote about in an investment outlook where he goes to the mausoleum where they rest and he's like, isn't that good enough? And you're like, oh my God, what? He holds up his Morningstar uh, tear sheet? No, nah, it's the billions, I think. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I know. Ben, why don't you ask about the golf thing? Yes, so you had this great story about how his wife at their golf club got a hole-in-one, yes. and it was well-celebrated, yes. and that was like his goal. He's like, I'm going to get a hole-in-one as well, yeah. and he claims he hit a hole-in-one. No one was there to view it no, now, and he claims Save. he did it, but he was so mad because no one saw it. I once the, did 50 pull-ups, but nobody was watching. This is like a, yes, I don't know. Yeah. Do you think he did it, or do you think he, like, he would lie about that, would he not? Oh, my God, I actually hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, he, I feel like mm. I feel like he made it up. When I read that, I was like, he definitely made this up. <laughs> you know why that's such a stupid thing to lie about? Because it literally has nothing to do with skill. I've seen people. <laughs> no, I've seen people yeah, play lucky. golf like in their first year of golfing, hit a hole in one. It's like, it's not even like, Wait, oh, I, oh. I want a triathlon and and right. nobody else remembers. Like, there's no skill in hitting. Seventy-two percent sure he made it up. And also, who cares? Right. I, yeah, well, no, he cares. He cares, he cares yes. a lot. But, you know, the thing that I love about his investment outlooks is it's always his, like, worst stories. Like, I had a friend in college who would always just, like, corner you at a party and tell you everything embarrassing that ever happened to her. She's like, I'm kind of failing physics. Is that bad? And you're like, that's kind of bad. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to – but she, like, would tell you it and the way she told it. You're like, no, that's fine. That's great. And, like, it's kind of that public processing, which, like, obviously provided a ton of fodder for me as a journalist writing a book about this guy. But it's also, like – that makes me think that he didn't because he had so much to mine Have you, and you see him still doing it, right? Like he's out there coming up with new stuff to just confess to you over and over, like more and more and more. So if he, I just, he's not really. He, it's a confessional though. It's a confessional. But it is a, so one thing that the three of us have in common um, with Bill Gross, besides billions of dollars, mm -hmm. is that all of us write, I think, like fairly personal accounts of being involved in the investment markets. Yeah. Maybe like me to the greatest extent, Michael somewhere in the middle, and then Ben is a little bit more like Midwestern modest. Come on, uh, We don't Let's get go. a ton on his personal life and, and problems, but that's probably our spectrum. But I think what resonated, what one of the things that probably helped Bill Gross become famous was Definitely. like Buffett, like Howard Marks. Bogle. He gave, he had a, he had a content strategy. This yeah. is so important. No, but he did, though. Like, that, yeah. that was how he got his name out. In addition, obviously, to good returns, he built a brand. And way before most people were thinking that way. Would you agree? Completely. Absolutely agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, he would point to the, the Booker guy at uh, Lou Rukeyser's Wall Street Week for, like, making him. And I think that's, yeah. like, true. Like, they, he was the Bond guy on that show at a time when people were like, wait, what? Like, what even are you talking about? And he was really young and he, he was like kind of irreverent, as we know. And I do think you're right. Like his and people loved reading those investment outlooks. You know, they start with this like kooky story that's somehow embarrassing or like very, you know, you're just like, what did he just say? And then he pivots so hardcore to interest rates. But but, it, you know, there aren't that many people that just like do that in our world or there weren't certainly that it was just like a confessional so he was extremely interesting and extremely early to like branding you were, so you you were doing tons of um i'm sorry you were doing tons of uh stories about this yes in real time yes and i want to cut to like the post-financial crisis you come along as i don't can i call you a cub reporter is that you insulting may. yes or? no i'm not no insulting. you were like a kid but true. you were like super excited about covering the bond kings 
and they were the new stock picking stars. Yeah. Like probably from 2009 till 2016, yeah. it was all about Gunlock, Gross, uh, a few age. others. Yeah. Elarian. Okay. So what was it about this that made you say, I'm going to spend a few years and write a book on it? Yeah, I definitely did think it was a few, not seven. So that's part one. Um, yeah, you started this in like 2014. Is that what you said to Meb? Yeah, yeah like when he when he quit fired, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Well, I did this like big story. And once that story came out, I was kind of like, this this is only 3,000 words, but I'm pretty sure I could write another hundred. Um, yeah, I didn't realize it would take me this long. But, um, but I do, yeah, I think like the time, like it seemed like there just wasn't this mainstream appreciation for Bond's that and like of course I have a structural bias there where I think that stocks are dumb as we've discussed and yeah. I think that more attention writ large should be paid to bonds right I think they're so much more interesting for my money's worth it's like where rubber meets road for like corporations and governments and all these things like that's where I the agree real except for the happen. returns yeah well fair yeah for as a journalist it's certainly more interesting but but yeah at the time it was like this this kind of heyday for them I think you're right and and it it created I was like where's where's the book on PIMCO like why is there no and there is there's like a you know there's another book about Bill Gross but it's from before they were really what they are and I just was kind of and there's like where's the BlackRock book like I know that these these things are impossible I kind of know now why there wasn't a book about them because no one else is as dumb as I am to just go ahead and write it but um I do think that that was like that was right there was no like it's just not broadly understood and the the kind of massive influence that they have is so disproportionate to that understanding and even awareness. Hey Mary, I think like we forget it's been, it's been like when did he go to Janice? I don't remember what year was that, but that was like that was like the meme of maybe not even just the year but like the years. A like a long time. Anytime something happened, it was to Janice. XX to Janice, yeah, completely. For the people that are unaware of that story, give us like the synopsis of he has a falling out with Muhammad and then what? Well, so he has a falling out with Muhammad. Muhammad quits and leaves PIMCO in January 2014. And then there's this big story in the journal about how, like, it was a fractious divorce, you know, turmoil at the top. And the kind of one-two punch of that, I think, really destabilized Bill. It was, like, much more emotional for him than I think, you know, a lot of people would have experienced it or, I don't know, is, would have been optimal for sure. And so over the months, he starts kind of fixating on who leaked to the press and who was the mole. And he's he's just not showing up to work like as a professional that much. He's yeah. showing up as a person. And the other people who are managing PIMCO are like, this is not manageable. We can't do our jobs. And it starts getting worse and worse and worse. And eventually he... I say he gets quit fired because there was some confusion over, you know, this became the subject of a lawsuit as to whether he quit or was fired. Um, so, so yeah, he just ends up abruptly, you know, no one outside really knew that this was happening. There was like this big journal article in February. There was this Morningstar conference where he seemed kind of like everyone was like, what even is going on? Like, I was at that. And it I, was, yeah. I was there and the crowd Bananas. was like stunned. I think we have, an, kind of like, I think we have a shot of, I think here? we have a shot of that. John? What, 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 what happened? Is this what is now? this? Yeah. It was, and the the crazy thing is, is your your book starts out talking picture. about how good of a call he made before two thousand eight, yeah. And like, I mean, I'm just imagining he would never would have done this because of his personality. But if he walks off into the sunset, then he right. is let. I mean, his legendary status is like you can't Whatever. touch that. He's on yeah. Mount Rushmore, and since then he's slowly like chipped away at that. And I think that Morningstar conference might have been one of the first things where everyone. I remember people in the crowd going like. I'm getting on the phone right now. We're selling our stake in that wow. fund yeah. right now. Yeah. This guy's, this guy's nuts. We're selling. Hey, uh, the subtext of that is important, though. Not the subtext. The context of that. 
So basically, he nails the great financial crisis. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, no offense if you're a bond manager. Probably that's like a default, but okay, fine. There were he some does. that did not, to be fair. He does the thing. He does the thing. Let's give it. Let's give it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's after years of good performance. It's not a fluke right. like uh, Paulson or something. Like this right. guy, they were calling him secretariat, or he was, and he thought other people would follow. But anyway, he crushed. He had great returns. And then when it really mattered, he steered the PIMCO. What was it? PIMCO total return? Mm-hmm. He steered that fund, the largest bond fund in the world, I think, at that time. Or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He steered that thing through the storm, no question. But then, I think from 2011 on, exactly. pretty much everything he said and did turned out to have been the wrong... Like, I think he was like uh, betting against treasury bonds and they yes. ripped higher into yep. the, uh, into the, um, the, the debt ceiling thing. Like, I feel like there exactly. were a lot... And then... Maybe in his eyes, you could you could corroborate whether this is true. So not only now do you have a lot of dissatisfaction among investors in that fund for the first time ever, but then you've got this layer of young guns beneath him and Mohammed El Arian mm-hmm. who are like, "Why is this guy making fifty million dollars a year? When are <laughs> we? Like, or, when are we ever going to get our that. shot? Yeah. Right, is, there, is there any truth to that? I think there is. I mean, it's also like like that's one framing. There's also kind of a different angle to it where it's like the within PIMCO, you have no credibility. I mean, this is true in finance all all across the board, but it's very true at PIMCO. If you have bad performance, like why are you talking? Like who who are you and why are you even here? So for that to be <laughs> That's you know a great I mean? cult- like, that's a great culture. I like that. Like for that to be Bill Gross <laughs> trying to like steer the ship and like make all these big pronouncements when he had to apologize for performance in 2011, like his armor was like, I mean, he was already wounded, right? And so I think you're right to say that that's kind of the moment where things started to fall apart for him. And like from there, yeah, you ju- there's just when you're talking with no credibility, especially when you're someone as like acerbic and cutting as Bill Gross seems to have been as a manager, you know, he's not going to tolerate, you know, he's, he's just going to stay the same as he always was in investment committee, which is extremely harsh. And people were like, wait. Why is this happening to me? What what gives you the right? You know, and like he's yeah, like yelling at, at Iverson. Numbers, who are right. you? Exactly. Okay. So I think there was just to some extent there's no coming back from that. Like you can come back from a bad journal article. You can just like keep going and it, and everyone eventually forgets. But I think like once you like internally at Pimco, he was pretty damaged by that point. What about at Janice? Like what was that reception like? Imagine being a Janice employee knowing that Bill Gross is coming to town. Right. Right. No, I think ever some of them were stoked, right? I mean, the the share price went up a lot. Everyone was like, "Oh my god, we're in the big time now." And then he and then he walks in here like, "All right." <laughs> he just had the glasses ready. Here's how it's going to be. Secretariat is here. And didn't he basically fund it all himself? Like the majority of the money that went in was his personal capital, right? Yeah, 700 million dollars of it was his personal capital, which like I, no one did the math at the time, I don't think, but like he was paying for the privilege of that job. Wait, can, Which, we, can, we back, can we back up, though, yeah. before mm-hmm. even Janice? Does Mohamed El-Aryan come out of this looking like the good guy the way that we all, I think most of us, look at him and we say, he's such a nice guy. How could he have had any real fault here? But we don't, who knows, right? But in the court of public opinion, you know. he def, in the, Muhammad definitely got the benefit oh, obviously, of that. Obviously, that's, yeah. that's my point. Yeah. But yeah. maybe Mary knows something different than, than we all <laughs> seem to think. Yeah, I think Mohammed was... Um, pretty uncomfortable with the reporting of this book, I think for this reason. You know, he has a really good reputation externally and internally it is a different story. Um, you'll notice in the book, he did not participate until the extremely last minute. He, um, and I, I, all of his comments are from a lawyer. Or, Your story or about him, him and his daughter, like as a, 
parent crushed me. That one I know, was like, right? Me too. I know. Geez. I found that instructive. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing about this that I I'd read all these stories about gross before, but you going into Pimco and the culture there, that is stuff that I had never really read much before. And my first thought was, there's no way in hell my personality as a Midwestern. What'd you call me, Josh? You seem Midwestern. Way too nice. um, you, I said you are. Modestly Midwestern or Midwesternly <laughs> modest. It was a compliment. How, like, Dude, the, it was a compliment. Oh, no, that, that's what I'm saying. But my yeah. Midwestern roots would not have worked there because you're talking about people getting nasty emails and how political it was and mm-hmm. sleeping in your car so you could get up at 3 a.m. to work until 6 p.m. And basically, you, you made it sound like everyone there was miserable and it well, was an awful leave. place to work. They can't, where like, were they going to go? go? Right. And you're saying Mary, like, talk, they, they, Mary, they're talk this about great that. place, but it's just an awful place to work. Like, how. Obviously, yeah. they got paid a lot, right? That's the how many people? Exactly. How many people? How many people wanted to tell you those stories? Oh, and all of them. It's so, so funny. So you I've, found ex or current Pimco people. I talked. Oh gosh, I I talked to more than like two hundred, almost two hundred fifty people for this book. I don't know what proportion of those were like. I was a consultant versus I worked at Pimco. I haven't actually. I should crunch those numbers. But it is really funny to me in the aftermath. You know, I so I published this book. I've been working on it for way too long. Everyone was so nervous the entire time I was reporting it. I was getting all kinds of paranoid phone calls and whatever. And so it comes out and everyone's like, I have heard that people at PIMCO were just squirreled up, like, you know, like reading their little copies in the corner and like no one was doing any work. And <laughs> I'm sure they were doing work. I'm so sorry. But uh, but like the feedback I've gotten, they're like, you nailed it. The assholery. Can I curse on this? Yes. Uh, they were Cut like, her mic. That's it. <laughs> so sorry, you guys. We'll see you um, next book. <laughs> see you in 20 years. Um, no, they were like, this is right. This is, you nailed it. This is exactly how it is. And the, the assholery, the culture is exactly right. And I got one guy emailed me and he was like, I, I had my first nightmare since leaving PIMCO after reading your book. Oh, what was, was like, the nightmare? Yeah, Bill Gross was yelling at him on the trade floor. Was the night. And they I was called like, I'm PIMCO so in New York. They called PIMCO the beach. Yeah. So when they had when they had bond orders from from um, from Pimco, they said the beach wants X exactly. X hundred million in treasuries or whatever, right? Exactly. But people, it, did people back east understand what a pressure cooker it was in Newport? Because when you picture Newport Beach from Lower Manhattan, you just picture right. golf and the ocean and like a bunch of clowns who don't really work that hard. But that's right, not but what this visit. was. Then you visit yeah. and like Fashion Island, like no one's wearing a suit but these guys. Nobody looks miserable but these guys. Like yeah. everybody else is in flip flops and t-shirts. That place is, and, like, that place is the best. Life. That place is yeah, the best. Beautiful. I mean, hey, Mary, beautiful did you though. did you speak to his neighbor? Um, I spoke to his neighbor's lawyer. Okay. <laughs> what a story <laughs> that was! Oh my god. Yeah, I well, think those that on, it's ongoing, them. right? It's ongoing. Yeah, it's it's failing to end. Explain to, pe- I had explain to, just to people. Stop the book. Explain yeah. to people what's explain to people what's going on there. Not everybody, so, not everybody is aware, but it's pretty it this wild. Follows closely. That's so weird. So um, <laughs> Bill Gross and his new wife, Amy, they bought a house um, in Laguna. It's called Rockledge by the Sea. It's very beautiful. And they installed this $1 million Dale Chihuly sculpture, and it's like a bunch of blue glass tubes, you know? And, okay, they love it. They're very happy. Amy's, like, obsessed with it. She's, like, praying to it. She loves it. Whatever. Love their art. That's great. But it, li- it somewhat obscures the view of their next-door neighbor. And the neighbor's like, can you take that down? And they're like, no. And then they put a protective net. O- Sorry, I'm, I'm getting the order on. They put a protective net over it because it got, like, damaged in some way. And the neighbor's like, okay, that's a soccer net. And it's like, I can't, it's, like, very distracting. Do you mind? And they're like, we mind. So the neighbor complains. <laughs> when you city. live there on the ocean, like, the view is, is why yeah. you live there and why you paid that much money. Right. This is not a regular suburban dispute between neighbors. And it's These weird These people house- have $100 million properties. And their houses are, like, weirdly on top of each other. Like, this is a luxurious home. This home. These homes are gorgeous. They have space. But they're, like, 
weirdly kind of stacked. Like it's like a little bit of Manhattan living. But so they're like, they complain to the city. The city's like, oh, you need to get the proper permits. And then Bill Gross and Amy start playing loud music at all hours. And they start playing the Gilligan's Island theme song on <laughs> What was that about? What was that about? Apparently it was filmed near Don't there. worry about it. I'll tell you <laughs> Don't later. Don't ask too many questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so, and like Green Acres and a lot of Fitty Scent, which I was happy I for mean, the resurgence in Fitty. I mean, I feel like there's been like a really lot less is the king. lately. Yeah. He really is the king. Right? Well, the thing is, he's playing it at the legally allowable yeah, of course sound he is. limit. Of course he is. There's nothing Sick. illegal happening here. All right, this is all alleged. This is all alleged. We right. don't know any of this for a hundred percent fact, right? My other favorite no, do, thing that you ruled. like, I've always thought oh, this. Okay. You, you you talked about how like he would talk crap about stocks mm-hmm. and like in his and he'd say like I'm selling out of my 401k and you're like he didn't really mean it and but that's just something bond fund managers have to do, right? They have to kind of talk down on the stock market because that makes bonds look better in comparison, right? I mean, yeah, but I also think he had this kind of uncontrollable impulse to to talk shit about stocks just like I don't know that it was so conscious sometimes like in the same way that like maybe he didn't mean to antagonize his neighbor to the degree that he did like maybe he like it's an impulse control question also where you're on TV and you just keep talking I don't I don't know I do think that there's like an in, there there's a difference between like intentional I don't know it's a it's a good question do you think he could raise money today if he was like I'm coming out of retirement Ooh, you think so I mean today? people, Me people are still obsessed today. with him so he could raise something. I don't know about who would, institutional capital. Who would, who would allocate? Who would allocate to him? He could do like a meme raise in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Should he do an NFT? <laughs> Wait. What do you mean a meme? What's a meme raise? What do you mean? He could like literally put clips oh, of him at the Morningstar conference in sunglasses, he an NFT and he would instantly be the hottest, the hottest thing on Reddit That's a for really like good three idea. days. The problem is just that he raise. hasn't pivoted. You're right. The problem is it would be bonds, and people would be like, "Okay, where's the rocket?" When does the rocket? When right, the like rocket when are we taking off? off? Yeah, that's yeah, that yeah. is. Hey, Mary, what do you say to people who say that he had the wind at his back? Because my answer is like, well, there was like th- hundreds of thousands exactly. of other PMs that didn't become Bill Gross. Thank you. Right, that's the okay. first. Yes, that's the first part of the answer. And the second part, because this is the number one question that I get, is everyone's always like, oh, he was just lucky, and it's just right. there were a lot of other lucky. That doesn't mathematically make any sense. But I think like. You know, there are a couple papers. Wait, that wait. So, so hold on. In the late seventies, early eighties, ten-year uh, Treasury or is yielding what? Twenty-five percent. Yeah, no, fifteen huh? probably. Fifteen. I mean, the mortgage rates are. I think are it got up to eighteen. Right? Yeah. But did. anyway, everyone else had the wind at their back too. He wasn't. Hold on. So for the next forty years, um, <laughs> bonds go up, yields go down, basically almost in a straight line, with a few mm-hmm. years of exception. Yep. And he actually questioned himself in one of his last memos. To like, have I April just been lucky all this time? Um, but what sets him apart, to Michael's point, what sets him apart from a thousand other bond managers over that? Is it longevity? Is it the fact that he was writing and communicating? Like, what, yes, what really sets these. him apart? Completely all it's of all these. of that so stuff. He had kind of, he had some real insights that actually were different that I think other people either didn't see as clearly or didn't structure their trades as well around. So I think one of those was like the, the investing in mortgages. Like I just think they were earlier and better. And then, you know, I think he took more credit risk. He was had a better kind of duration sense and, um, selling volatility. Like these are real things that he did. And there's like, you know, there are like kind of nuances within that. There are kind of sub strategies. Like my personal favorite is the kind of cash and cash equivalent arbitrage where like if Michael has, is holding his, you know, derivative position cash in cash. And I'm just like, hold on one second. I'm going to just invest that in like short dated corporates. 
I'm just going to make a little bit more than Michael every day, you know, and that over 40 years is always going to help. Like there, are, it's very rare that that's going to blow up on me. Now, where that line is of what I'm investing in, like there's apparently a robust debate as to whether or not Russian floaters should count in the cash equivalent, bu- equivalent bucket, which like today we would say no. But there's absolutely, you know, nine times out of 10, that's going to work. So over those time periods, yes, I think he did have those those real insights. Um, and there was a paper a couple years ago by uh, Richard Dewey and Aaron Brown that kind of looked into this and stripped out those three factors and did find that, yes, that's actually a, a large perfor- uh, uh, kind of reason for his, his performance. Yeah. But to, I think to your point of him being good, I read that about the leverage. He was the first one to do it, basically. So he- Exactly. Because he was the only one who thought about it, like, hey, wait a minute, we can get free returns here because we're earning right. higher returns on this cash. Right. And the whole time, just sticking to that. that and he invented totally. total return. That was like, like he yep. did all this. He did that. So that's a good segue to the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is that just as he's imploding, there's another superstar bond manager on the rise. Who could it be? Literally works maybe two hours by car away from him, mm-hmm. stealing his thunder, generating mm-hmm. amazing returns. Jeff Gunlock launches Double Line, comes out of, uh, what was that firm called before? TCW. TCW comes out, brings his team with him, knocking the cover off the ball. I think he was involved in like uh, non-agency MBS and he had like this very specific niche Mm -hmm. that worked really well during the crisis. And he essentially steals Pimco's thunder for the most part. Yeah. And I think that that has to be a contributing factor to Bill Gross going slowly crazy or maybe not that slowly because it's hard to see the new yeah. kid in town yeah. all of a sudden be anointed the new Bond King. And he's probably sitting there like, all right, I'll shave my mustache, but I'm still here, guys. <laughs> right? Like, so I what, think that's right. What element yeah. did that play? Uh, what, asked, like, what role did that play in, in your narrative as you got later into his career? I think that's really incisive. I think that's right. I do think I'm that, very like, good at this. You're very good at this. I think that he absolutely, like, you know, one of his defining traits is what I would call paranoia right it's this clinical insecurity and like beyond the point of rationality watching your competitors and making sure that you're beating them and when it's someone like Jeffrey Gunlock coming up like you feel that I do think that that was he was watching him very closely and absolutely well, he probably was, took money there's yeah, probably absolutely there's probably 30 40 billion AUM ultimately right. that went from one house to the other literally did they, yeah. did they have, a, did they have a relationship it. at all did they ever talk uh, they, did. they did. They had this like summit, this big meeting of it. Well, I can. T- it's in the no spoilers. It's in the book, but <laughs> but it's he like wanted when, double line to hire him, though. Yeah, they were about to hire him. They drafted a press oh, release. Geez. They were ready to do it. Which can you imagine? Like the content all, would have been that would have been amazing. That, yeah, that would have gone well. That would have lasted for like three weeks. Oh, no, but for, from a content yeah. standpoint, that should right, have happened. Right, right, right. We would have all reaped the benefit from that. A lot of yield, but I do think that would have been a, a disaster. But I mean, speaking of branding, Jeffrey Gunlock is like kind of. Yeah, the the Bond King of of content for sure now, um, and you see Bill in his in his um, own personal memoir that he released a couple weeks ago. He kind of took a shot at, at Jeffrey and was like, his return certainly would not justify the title. So, <laughs> how, come Bill, how come? I Bill love Gross that he's st- still. I love that he's still petty. Still how, it. Can't how is go. Bill Gross not? How is he not tweeting? I feel like he would love to tweet. He is tweeting. He is Bill Gross. Oh my God! I'll send it to you. It's real underscore Bill underscore Gross. I didn't realize what? that either. I didn't. Oh my God! Verified. <laughs> I don't know. He, he, he must not be good at it. Declined to comment. He should tweet as his uh, his his cat. Oh yeah, Bob. Rest in peace. Bill. Bob. Bob. Yeah. Right. Wait, this yeah. is really him. His bio is Bill Gross is a renowned expert in the bond market and is at the forefront of thought leadership on the subject of Leading fixed income investing. This yeah. is really him. We need to do That's that. Really him, yeah. He's a big third person guy. I Wait, he tweet. 
He tweeted his book two hours ago. He's trying to one up you, Mary. I do think he's trying to one up me. Yes. Yes. Can you tell? Can you? What was the process like trying to get him to talk to you? Oh, he was actually not. Um, he was super open uh, for many years. I think what happened was like, so in the aftermath, I heard that he pitched Michael Lewis to do this book, basically, and bless his heart. While Michael you were Lewis. writing it already. Before I before I really started okay. um, digging it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Michael Lewis would never. But. Uh, but no, Michael Lewis also didn't. And I think, so over the couple years, you know, I think he was a little bit more optimistic about the the book and like what I would write. A lot of people thought I was like a Bill person and like would only write from Bill's perspective. And Bill's kind of, he's not like dumb. He doesn't think that he understands how journalists work just to a very large extent. But like, you know, we had great conversations. I sat down with him for hours, for days in 2017, talking about his childhood, his cold Canadian parents, you know, the things that motivated him. And it was like super interesting and wonderful. And is a, we then, should say this. We haven't been, maybe we haven't been, before, before you finish, yeah. we might not have been reverent enough. He is a genius. <laughs> and he was like beating Vegas um, yeah. at, at cards, cards before oh, he that ever touched story. a bond fund. Yeah, Ed Thorpe. About yeah, sure. He is a brilliant man, and he's yeah. interesting. He like does martial so arts, and like he's a very interesting and brilliant person. And we should well, say that your okay. first your first interaction with him, where he kind of Jedi mind tricked you because he, yeah. he said you had Blew your numbers mind. wrong. That was yeah. great. Like he he was playing a game with you there. Literally with everyone. And that's yeah. like, I, like I blew, so the story uh, just in brief was that I had a mistake in a story about Pimco and I'd never met Bill and he goes on Tom Keen's show and he's like, Mary Childs needs to get her facts straight. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like 25, I don't know. And so I'm like literally vomiting at my desk. And so he calls me after and I'm like, he, he said on air, you know, we're like 70 bips or something over the benchmark. And I'm like, okay, I can replicate, like I, I can find this. I know how to use the terminal. I worked at Bloomberg. He calls me. He's like, ah, oh, you got your numbers wrong. I'm like, no, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I know that I did. I got to fix them. But like, I, I can't replicate the numbers that you said. I've been trying. I've been trying different share classes. I've been trying different time. Horizons. Like, what am I doing wrong? And he's like, you got to say your numbers. I got to say mine. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Badass. What? <laughs> All right. Before we get to the questions from the stream, who is playing him when HBO adapts your movie into a limited series? I love Who that. is the Bond King on prestige television. I told you this. Robert Pattinson. Terrible take. Shut ahead, up. Mary. I love that. Oh my God, for young Bill, I love that. Okay. Thank so, you. Mary, I've been saying that, that Pattinson That's looks so like good. a young Bill Gross. I see it. I fully see it. So, okay. What about Steve Buscemi? Oh, that's perfect. I don't hate it. What that's about? Good. Say that's more. Good. That's good. That's good. That's, that's good. Willem Dafoe is my... Yes, yes. That's yes. the most obvious. Okay, yeah. okay. But he's Shannon? old. But he's old, though. We need a young. We, I know it's a little. Uh, yeah, and William. We H. don't Macy want that Irishman also. CGI shit. Like we need a no, young Bill, total. and we need a, a narrator Bill who's now yeah current Bill for some yeah playing I, Gilligan's I, Island. I think I'm, I'm thinking you're right. We need like a young like we will take Robert. We need Pattinson. an unknown for Bill so it doesn't distract. You think right? Yeah, I, th I, I feel think like to that sell it, you got to get that prestige name. I feel like we need a big name like if Brian Dunk, Cranston. Brian, okay. I know it doesn't look like him. Sorry. What if Duncan Hill shaved his beard? Tony Shaloub is uh, Muhammad Ali. Literally. Al Have you been reading my. Literally. That's no, my but top you and head. I are. Yeah. We're on the same way. Oscar line. Isaac is Muhammad. Oh, okay. I accept. Ooh, I, I don't hate that. I don't Bradley hate that Cooper at all. is Jeff Gunlock. Okay. The Pretender. Okay. Oh, we, we, this is going to be a huge movie. This is going to be good. Who's Wendy Show? Capps? Whatever. Charlie's what Throne? <laughs> what? It's called. The show is called Bips. Who's Greenspan? <laughs> Who's Greenspan? <laughs> 
I'm so happy right now. This is like my dream. We just sold it oh, for that's you. Great. All right, uh, Duncan, get, did anybody say anything or ask anything insightful before we let Mary go? Hi, young Bill uh, Gross in the show. She's a she's a, a young mom and and has other things to do. So do we have anything? Good? Very young, extremely young. Teen yeah, mom. we know this. Yeah. Know so this. I mean, we have we have one that's like a, a softball question, but I think a, a good one uh, from from Dave, which is. Uh, What's your favorite Bill Gross story that didn't make it into your book? Ooh, good question. Oh, man. There's What'd you so save many. for the sequel? What did I save? Also, can um, the compound produce this this uh, series? Yeah. I feel like we should do that. You have no money. All my agents. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite Bill Gross story that didn't make it into the book. I mean, his book actually covered a lot of these. There's one where he um, shot Lou Rukeyser with a rubber band on Wall Street, like on television, speaking of impulse <laughs> like as control. A, like as a, as a gag? Yeah, or? it like related to his investment thesis. You know, it was like, it was indicative. It was like the inelasticity of consumer oh, demand or something. Yeah, he had a he prop. Had a prop. And, pew, and he like didn't really think that through and then he didn't get invited back on or something. Um, so that was a fun one. <laughs> but... That's actually pretty good. There were a lot from like the 70s and 80s where like I talked to so many guys from the 70s and 80s and they had such they were like, oh, that guy used to, you know, he had a, a license plate that said bonds and it like pissed everybody off in Pack Mutual. And they were like, who's this guy? And he like pulls up and parks in the spot that isn't his next to the CEO. And just, you know, he was always a little he had that swagger long before it was. I kind of love him more earned. when I hear these stories. It's kind of like endearing. I know, I know it's, it's really endearing. Right. I love it. Yeah. Uh, any, so, anyone else ask anything good? Or? So just for the sake of time, we'll just do uh, one quick one from Blair, which is a, a pretty funny one. Okay. Uh, she just says, remember the monthly letter where he riffed on automatic toilets and how they don't recognize him? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently that's a real thing. He, he, thought, he called them cameras. About? He said that there were cameras in automatic toilets, like automatic <laughs> flushing toilets. And you're like, I don't, I mean, I guess. I, as soon right. as I read that one, I, I, sent, I sent them $7 million. <laughs> Yeah. Immediately, like immediately. Take my money, man, please. Yeah, this yeah. Is genius. Yeah. Yeah, I totally got it. All right, Mary, listen to me. Listen to me. The I'm book listening. is a the book is a, a smash hit already. But thank you. But we want everybody who's who's watching this, um, we want everybody who's watching this to buy a copy. And what I promised them is that I'm gonna I'm gonna put your um, I'm gonna put your address out, and you will mm -hmm. sign all most. <laughs> Limited time, though. Yeah. It has to be within the next six months. Yeah. But, all right, listen, everybody wants this book to be a success because we want you to do the double line story uh, in a few years. No, we want you to. We'll have, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get Fleck and, uh, Fleck and Steen, and we'll, we'll, do, do, it, we'll know, do it right. I have a saying now, never the living. I'm never yeah, writing okay. about living people again. No. Smart. Thank Smart. You. Anyway, we're, we're, root, we're rooting for you. Thank Everyone you. who's read the book, Ben included. Uh, has has had nothing but great things to say. Thank so you. Con congratulations on your first, maybe last book. And uh, everybody can click on the link below. Follow Mary on Twitter and all of the places. And make sure you buy a copy of the book. If you don't want to read it, buy it for the investor in your life who may want to. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff in there. I hope they do the TV show. And if they do... Michael wants an executive producer credit. Can we do that? I'll yes? work on it. Yes, absolutely. All right. You're the best. It. Thanks for doing this with us. Thank you for having me. So again. fun. Thank you. All right. Thank Good night, you. everybody.